All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Dropping the Gloves with John Scott and Tim Wurzberger. Big episode today, Tim. Huge one. Yeah. Do you know I had a poster on my wall when I was a kid? I did, too. (laughs) I had a poster of my favorite team, my favorite player, and he is on the episode today. It's Ray Bork, my childhood idol. Tim, was he your childhood idol? He sure was. You, you, are you just saying it because he's here? No, no, we talked about this. Come on. You're yeah. such a, a kiss. Dude, okay, I, I whatever. grew up in the 90s in Boston. Of course he was. Okay, all right. Well, I did have a poster of him. Ray, Ray Bork is on the show. Ray, how are you doing? My, I, I think I can call you my friend. Yes, yes. We've met enough for that. And we've had a few good times on the road. <laughs> I, I think we have. I was actually t- talking to Tim. I'm like, he's got his restaurant. He knows his wine. He knows his stuff. And I was actually impressed when we sat down for a meal. You grabbed the wine menu. You're like, I got this. You ordered something really nice. It was it was impressive. I didn't expect that. Yeah, well, I, uh, I like my wine. And if somebody's ordering and doesn't have a clue about it, uh, it's the meal. <laughs> the meal's not so good. So uh, I make sure I take care of the wine and uh, I kind of know what I like. Is that is that something you developed over the years, or did you just were you always that guy? Like coming out of college, you're like, I know wine, I like it. That's that's my thing. College? What are you talking about? Or high school? <laughs> I don't know, Ray. What you guys did in Quebec? Come on, I thought you looked me up. Come on. <laughs> no, high school. Right out of high school, uh, got to the Bruins at 18 years old, and then uh, had no clue about wine and something I discovered. They say. Uh, you uh, you discovered the taste for wine, and I certainly did. Uh, it took a little while, but um, I, I've got a pretty good palate for uh, for good wine. So um, when I'm on the road or uh, out with guys, uh, that's one thing I'll take care of and uh, make sure that they uh, they enjoy the wine that uh, I'm liking, and uh, hopefully they discover a, a nice taste for wine uh, just doing that. No. So if I'm going to sit down at a restaurant, your restaurant, Tresca, I'm going to have a pork chop. What kind of wine am I going to get? Do you guys got a pork chop there? We have a pork chop. We have a veal chop. Uh, we have a veal, veal chop, parm. Um, oh, we baby. have some, we have some one. nice, you know, it's, it, I, I tell you, you can't finish it. You'll probably be able to finish it, but 
a lot of nights I uh, I bring part of that home, and uh, it even tastes the better the best the next day. So, um, you know, I'll have a nice Italian wine or nice California wine. Um, my go to, my favorites on special nights are uh, Farniente, that uh, is is a beautiful cab, uh, Silver Oak. I love. Um, ah, if I go okay. Italian, I love Brittany wine, Amarone Brittany. Um, I like a, um, Bonfi wine, uh, uh, some Barolos I, I really enjoy. Uh, Canubi Barolo is a phenomenal wine. <coughs> Soleia is a very expensive wine that I don't have that often, but, um, I've had in the past. Um, so these are all quality big time wines that, uh, I enjoy every once in a while on special occasions or, uh, or whenever I have, uh, you know, I just, um, I just moved into Florida and, uh, one of my neighbors as a, uh, a nice, uh, home warming gift gave me a nice body, a bottle of Bertani Amarone that had no clue that it was one of my favorites. And, uh, whenever my wife and I go out, uh, especially in Bermuda, where we've been many times, uh, that's the wine we order. And uh, it's uh, it's a quality Italian wine. So um, I like my wine. Yeah, I would say every one of those wines you just named, I had no clue. And that, maybe that's what makes hockey, hockey players so naive or just clueless is when we go to the restaurant. No clue when I started, believe me. I know. Uh, I'm just was, like, okay, what? Right. Yeah, but when we went out to a fancy restaurant or a rookie dinner, we just get the most expensive one. We're like, okay, give, give me the Camus or the Opus One or whatever. And it probably yeah. tastes like garbage compared to all oh, the ones okay, you're talking about. No, so. is awesome. Opus One is is a very nice okay. wine. I think it might be just a little overrated uh, for the okay. price, but uh, they're, they're, those are two quality wines. All right, so we weren't wasting our money. Anyways, so – We'll get in a little bit of hockey. Tim's just Tim just messaged me. He's like, enough about wine. Nobody cares about wine. Tim, I care about wine. I think it's interesting. Like, let's let's just talk about fun stuff. Anyways, so your rookie year, I was looking it up. You played with four or five guys who had over 150 penalty minutes. Terry O'Reilly, Mike Milbury, Stan <laughs> Johnson, Keith Crowder, Brad McCrimmon. You almost had 100 pims your first year. Yeah. What was that like going into – because – it's a different era, the '80s. So I don't think people understand the the type of hockey that was played. It wasn't the type of hockey people see now. It's completely different. Coming in, you're a rookie. You have high expectations. You're a first round draft pick. Did anybody take you under their wing and be like, "Hey, Ray, I got you"? Like Terry O'Reilly is a legendary enforcer, but he also could play the game. He almost put up 100 points one year. Did anybody take you under their wing, or what was that like that first year? Uh, Brad Park took me under his wing, and Brad was a uh an incredible talented player and um, was playing on really two bad knees. He's got two knee replacements now, but at the end of his career, uh, they were really uh, shot and uh, it was amazing what he was able to do, but also not only a, a talented player, but a fierce competitor that would just, uh, you know, when he was in New York, he wasn't only a, you know, if it wasn't for Bobby uh, Park, he would have won a few Norris trophies, and uh, and and he had his pins and he had his fights, and he was a he was just a dirty dog, uh, mad dog. Um, but he kind of took me under his wing uh, my first first year in terms of uh, just educating me on on the game and 
um, going out there early in practice or, you know, staying on after practice and doing some stuff with me that, and just love to talk the game. He was, uh, you know, just, if he corners you, you're in there for an hour. And I just loved it uh, earlier on. And I was just like a sponge taking everything in, but you're talking about the eighties and early eighties, my first year, uh, you know, you're talking John Wensick, Stan Jonathan, Al Secord, Tara Riley, Mike Milbury, um, Wayne Cashman. Uh, it, it, it was crazy. And uh, I just remember my first exhibition game in Providence against the Flyers. John Wensick gets into a fight, and he hits this guy so solid in the face. It's like you slapping your hands as hard as you can. That's what it sounded like. And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, and then I end up buying John Wensick's house in 1980 in December. You know why? Because he told me to. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but, I mean, uh, the nicest guy you'll ever want to meet off the ice. But on the ice, you know, they called him Wire because, uh, you know, the wires would touch. And uh, But just think about that lineup and facing this team, you know, coming into the Boston Garden with – these guys not only tough but could play hockey and um and you know there was the same thing going into philly uh going to a couple places where you know you kind of knew and as a young guy i you know i could always i always thought i could take very good care of myself and when you're surrounded by guys like that you want to prove yourself as well that you can so you know i uh i had a few that that year um and um First fight was uh, Rick Dudley, then uh, Rick Sealing, and then um, Gary Howitt. Um, uh, I Willie Platt, my first year, um, and you just thought that hey, I know they have my back, but I want to have their backs as well. So when you play with a team like that, it's just contagious in terms of you know. Uh, and even the second year got me in trouble because um, going into a game in Detroit. I remember Jerry Cheevers was our coach, and he says, uh, you know, Dennis, Panal, De- Dennis Palanich, uh plays with Detroit. I don't want anybody messing around with him. Let's leave him on the ice. And the first period, he's chasing Terry Riley all over the place. He wants to get Terry into a fight and all that stuff. And then, you know, I decide, I'm like, hey, screw this. I'm like, come on, let's go. So I get off to a really good start with him. Then he gets one in. Then I finish really strong. I'm on top of him. And I it, it, it kind of looks like I won the fight. And he's a tough guy, right? Well, I get to the penalty box, and I can't close my mouth. My teeth don't touch. So I'm, I'm uh, you know, having surgery the next day, broken jaw, out for six weeks, all wired up, and lose 15 pounds. And uh, Really? Yeah. So... <laughs> So I should have I should have listened to the coach, right? Dennis Polonic was five foot six, one hundred and sixty five pounds, uh, right? Maybe a little more than that. But. It says in his his hockey fight stats, he's five. Is this wrong? Because that seems like he's a little small, he's like a little fire hydrant, crazy. But he was he was a tough little guy, you know, just like Stan Jonathan. I mean, Stan yeah. Jonathan, pound for pound. I mean, come on. I mean, that guy was unbelievable. And I, I've never seen him get cut. I never saw him lose a fight. Um, throw him with both hands, just get position, drop his head a little bit, and bang, 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 bang. 
So you mentioned these guys who were small, like this this Dennis Pavlik. Were there Palanich? Palovich, sorry. Oh, Palanich. Sorry, he's from Palonich. I'm gonna insult everybody from Palanich. Palanich. Everybody from Foam Lake, Saskatchewan. I'm sorry. I apologize. So back in the day, were there any pests who went around to start trouble, you know, getting people's under their skin and stuff, you know, trying to get in your grill or would guys just grab them and beat their doors off? Because nowadays you get these pests, they're, you know, they're licking guys, they're doing stuff, they're chirping. <laughs> Come on but now, never... but he's a good player though, the guy that's licking he's guys. He's a great player, but there's he other guys who take, they take runs, they, <laughs> they play dirty, they get their sticks up, but they never answer the bell. Did that happen back in the day? Because no, no. a guy would just get grabbed. No, that's why I never want fighting out of the game. Even today, I mean, you do something really stupid, you're going to have to answer for it. Still to this day, I really feel you have to that way. And that says a lot about somebody. If you're willing to answer the bell when you've done something and you know it's coming. And um, so that's why if they ever take fighting out of the game, even more than what you're saying, That'll be the case. But, okay, but you're saying, okay, was there any pests? I mean, yeah, the rat played for Philly, you know, for all those years. And he played for us and driving everybody crazy. Dale Hunter, uh, Claude Lemieux, um, you know, not that there were little pests. Some of them were pretty big pests. But uh, when you're saying, you know, Dale Hunter would fight you anytime. You know, Claude, yeah. not so much. Uh, the rat would fight you, but still, they were friggin'. These guys were uh, some of these guys. And, and you know what? It's like uh, Rob Brown for me. Um, the guy would never fight, score, long hair, would be in my grill all the time, telling me every single time he had a chance, saying how overrated I was. And I'm like, what <laughs> the friggin'? What are you talking about, Brownie? Who are you? Come on. I'm like, that's the worst when a guy who's oh, terrible is chirping you about talent. He's not terrible, but like, come on. <laughs> I think I've done something and I've got, hey, I've what got was a your few deal? years on you. What was your deal with Matt Sundin? What was that all about? Oh, I saw God. he ran you from behind oh, one God. game. Yeah, yeah, well, what's the deal with that? that. Um, okay. He, uh, he, play, he was playing in Quebec and uh, probably four, four and a half weeks before playoffs started, we're playing them and he sticks his knee out and hurts my MCL. I'm out for the last four weeks of the season. I ended up coming back for the for the playoffs, but I'm not I'm not right. I'm not 100. percent And um, I get home. I've I've got three kids and two boys that are playing hockey at the time. They're young, but and they're pissed and they're like, "Dad, you're gonna get him back?" I said, "Yeah, I'm gonna get him back." Do you know every you, single time? The kids are asking every for single time I played against Sundin, <laughs> they asked me walking out the door. They're like. Are you going to get him tonight, Dad? Are you going to get him tonight, Dad? You know how much pressure that was? <laughs> That's too good. And then, and then I end up fighting him one night. Um, we're, playing, uh, we're playing in Boston, and at the end of the game, Tim Taylor gets into it with uh, uh, Ty Domi, and uh, then there's a friggin' five, five guys all around, and he's right there. So end up dropping the gloves with him. End up... Initially, when I start fight, we start fighting, I step on my stick. He's over me like he's six four, six five. He's on top of me now. I tell you, for a fraction of a second, I spin him around. I'm now we're back up. We're standing up right in front of the bench. I throw two big ones right in his face. He's doing nothing. It's like 
I just stop. I'm like, come on, okay. Uh, so he didn't want it. No, I mean, but you know, but um, but I what did the, the kids, kids say when you got oh, home? The kids were was it? The kids were pumped. It's like okay, <laughs> <laughs> it was over with. I had I didn't have to answer that question anymore. So it was good. I asked Denny Savard this question, and he had a pretty neat answer. What was more exhilarating, scoring a goal, like a big goal, a game winner, overtime winner, or getting in a fight, winning a fight? What, what, what got your juices pumping more? Um, well, you're shaking after a fight sometimes, um, and the adrenaline is. Uh, I mean, I, I got into this fight with uh, Dave Taylor. Um, after, after coming back from my broken jaw, um, the first fight I had, um, Dave Taylor is going outside of me. He's a right winger going down the right side and I'm a lefty and I, <clears throat> my stick just kind of, I just kind of send my stick out on his left, his left shoulder that just kind of pushes him towards the right a little bit. And, and, and all in one motion, he comes across and this is the first time that I had taken my cage off from my injury and the doctor that performed surgery on me was at the game that afternoon. And I, um, he slapped me right across his face with this stick. And I just lose it. Like, I lost it. So I fight him from one board to the other board. And I'm just going crazy. And the rest can't get me off him. And I just, that was probably my best fight. And I'm still in a box, standing up, pointing at him, saying I'm going to kill him and all that stuff. So I can't settle down in a box. So, yeah, I'll tell you, scoring a great goal and a big goal and a winning goal is nothing better. But I'll tell you, winning a big fight is uh, is pretty cool. Ray, one of the things that John talked quite a bit about on the show is is how much the league has changed, even since in the five years since he's retired, but certainly since he came into the league and. Uh, 15 or so. I mean, you played in the league for 20 years. How did the league and, and, and the game itself change over the course of that time? What were the biggest things you saw? Well, initially it was uh, every fight, you know, everybody would kind of grab onto somebody else and you never knew what would happen off of that. Then you had to go to your benches and um, that was a good thing. Uh, eliminated a lot of crap that was happening and just how they cleaned up the game. Uh, you know, I, uh, for me, I, I never play without the red line. Um, I, uh, I never play with the new rules where, you know, you extend your stick, any parallel stick or whatever they were calling. Like, it was so friggin' crazy and stupid initially when they, they did the rules. And I think they got it down pretty good now. But, I mean, to play defense now, you've got to have perfect position. You've got to be able to skate. Um, that's one thing I was able to do. I would have, I would have loved to play uh, under these rules and uh, no red line, uh, how I could pass the puck and how I could defend or how I could get involved in the offense. Would have been pretty cool to see how uh, that would have, how that would have been. Um, having a puck would have been a lot of fun. Without it, would have been a lot more challenging. But uh, I think it would have been a lot of fun for me to uh, try. Um, so that's how the game's really evolved. It keeps evolving. Uh, guys just keep getting in better shape. They just keep getting faster. Uh, I think the game is always getting better. So, um, it's a lot of fun. I'm a big fan still. I watch every night. Um, I don't know if you, do you actually see me right now? Yeah, we can. I see the TV in the back. You see the yeah, NHL, the NHL network. network. Okay, okay, good. Um, so 
uh, for me, uh, I love the game. Uh, I love the ev evolution of the game. Uh, it's not going to stop. It's only going to keep getting better. Um, but I hope they never take fighting out of the game. Yeah, I agree. Everybody, calm down. I hope you're sitting down. If you're not, sit down because I have something to tell you. Something that's huge. Something that is monumental. I love sports betting. You love sports betting. Even Tim loves sports betting. And Tim doesn't like anything. And whether you've been betting for a while or you're thinking about getting started and you've never done it before, I want to let you know about a great resource for sports bettors. It's called The Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. This isn't Monopoly money. This is the real thing, everybody. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. And there is hundreds of thousands of sports betting apps. So if you're the number one, like that's, you know, that's something. And with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up for an Action Network Pro subscription, you get the Pro Report, which includes expert projections for every game. You can see the money bet percentages on every game. You can see the teams professional gamblers take. That's the cool one. You can see what all the pros are doing. You can take advantage of the pro systems with match-winning historical betting trends and the latest games and lines, all this stuff. You can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time. They make it dummy-proof. If you don't win, there's something wrong with you. So if you're looking to bet smarter, an Action Network Pro subscription is the best way to get started. And for a limited time only, my listeners can receive 50% off an annual Pro subscription. They're giving it away, everybody. They're giving away money. Just go to actionnetwork.com now and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code John Scott. That's one word, John Scott. This offer's not going to last. So go to actionnetwork.com to sign up for a pro subscription and use promo code John Scott to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today, everybody. All right, everybody, listen up. Your company's salary cap is probably tighter than it's ever been, and you can't afford to miss on a new hire. Every person you add needs to fit just right, just like Tim does on the podcast. He fits perfect. That's where Indeed helps you hire great people faster. Indeed.com is the hiring site that helps you find quality candidates instantly with Indeed Instant Match. So you can do the part you really need faster, meeting and hiring great people. Unlike some hiring sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality shortlist faster. Now, you want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed right now. Listen up. Our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your post at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is Indeed's best offer anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer is valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. One, two, So you mentioned training and everybody's getting better. 
I talk to a lot of guys. I do a lot of alumni events and charity stuff with you and other guys. And, you know, we, we get around, we have some beers, we're exchanging stories. They tell me they didn't train at all before this season back in the 70s and 80s. They dust a bag off and they'd be smoking darts in the locker room. Did your preparation change from when you entered the league to when you left? Like, did you all of a sudden, like, figure out, like, man, I got to work out. These kids are coming into camp, like, ready to roll? Or or did you just kind of be – were you consistent the whole 20 years you were in the, were in the show? I was ahead of the game. I met somebody very – Oh, gosh. I, I, <laughs> no, but I met somebody very special when I was 14 years old. My high school gym teacher was a guy named Ben Ludzuk. Um, he was a track and field team for the Canadian Olympic team in Seoul, LA. He had his own track and field team in Montreal called Rijna Manzi. This guy started training me at the age of 16 till the day I retired. Um, so he would give me a program, a 12-week program every summer that was read, written in a pencil. Every It was a calendar. Every single day I knew what I had to do. So it was one, two days on, one day off, three days on, one day off. It was mostly all running uh, initially. And then it became running and biking as I age a little bit, road work on a bike, speed bike. Uh, and then I would, you know, I would do my own weight workout uh, through all that. So um, that really uh, gave me a base to allow me to do what I did and to allow me to play the minutes that I did and to allow me to stay as healthy as I did. And um, so I was, I was ahead of it. It was coming when I came in, but uh, I met this guy that still to this day is uh, my very best friend and uh, my son's uh, godfather. And uh, he's like, uh, he's like Mick Rocky's trainer. That's how he looks like. And a very special man in our family for all of us in our family and a guy that uh, really made a difference in my career. Wow. Okay. I kind of, kind of depressed. I wanted you to say I ate cheese cheeseburgers and smoked <laughs> cigarettes. And then I just started playing. All right. So you worked hard. Yeah, no, I worked very hard. I can't tell you I ate perfectly. Uh, and I didn't have fun. I had fun and I didn't eat perfectly, but, uh, as it went on, I got better and better in all those areas. Uh, but the conditioning and the workouts came first before anything, uh, and, and actually my life, like, uh, mornings, that's what happened first. And, uh, every single day I looked at the calendar, I went out and if it was pouring or raining or whatever, I was out there doing it. And whenever those days came, I thought I had to step on somebody else uh, because I know a lot of guys with those conditions wouldn't be out doing what I was doing. I wouldn't. I, I don't think I would. Um, that's why I think you had more shots in one game than I had in my whole career. So I, I think that's, that's the difference between you and I. We, we, you did have 19 shots in one game. Yes, you know that? Yes, Rob, Rob Tugnut uh, had 73 shots that game. It was a 3-3 game. And uh, after the game, we all went and tapped his pads. <laughs> now, did you Quebec just Nord look Gates. off your deep? Did you look off your D partner every single time? No. And Depends did he ever was. say anything to you? <laughs> <laughs> you you're, the answer is you didn't have one. That's the answer. <laughs> no, I no, I had some good ones. Um, but uh, no, I had, you know, hey, we have 73 shots. I can't. That's a quarter of the shots. Like I had 19. It's. Uh, it was crazy, and I probably, I probably had, I'd say, you know, not half of them, but um, 
I'd say almost half of them were really good shots. And my last shot in the game was right in the slot, uh, one-timer that uh, Tugnut, and uh, I think it was Randy Burge or Gary Galley was screening him. And uh, I don't know how he saw it, but he gloved it. And um, just crazy. That's it's amazing to be able to pull from 20 plus years of playing in the NHL. It's, it's crazy. When I was looking at your, your career, I was doing a little bit of research. I saw something that was cool. It's like you've played versus arguably the best dynasties the NHL's ever had. You played against the Islanders. You played against the Oilers. You saw the Penguins in their prime. You played against the Red Wings and Avalanche when they were in their prime, when they had those great rivalries, which one stood out to you was like, that was the best team ever. Was there one that just were hand, heads and shoulders above everybody else? Well, um, the Islanders um, started uh, that four-year run against us. We, uh, that was my first year. We were first overall, and we ended up playing them in the second round. And uh, I just remember them standing up to the Bruins, uh, to us. Um, in the first period, we had a big brawl. And the Islanders were coming, but it was a, you know they had talent and they had everything. But lacking maybe a little toughness, and um, they stood up to us in that first game, and I think that gave them so much confidence. They went on to beat us in six games. Clark Gillies and Terry Riley were fighting two or three times a game. They were trying to tell Taz, just let him sleep. And, um, I mean, they just uh, went on from there to win four in a row, that is – I tell you, it is so hard to win. Believe me, I, I played 22 years and I went to three cup finals. And even that last year when we won in Denver, uh, it went seven games and we're down 3-2 going to New Jersey. Nobody's giving us a chance to win. We come back and win. It was like, and so many things were going on. We, we, we didn't have Forsberg. Uh, Joe was, you know, had a bad shoulder. We had this and that. And it's like, it's just crazy how hard it is to win. And to win four in a row, like the Islanders dad did, and then the then the Oilers, and we meet the Oilers when they're in their hot streak. Um, you know, we got to the finals in 88 and 90, and the first year was, you know, the Gretzky team, and then Wayne was the gone in 90, and we thought we matched up really well and never came close, losing four straight in the first time around in 88, and then only going five games in 90. Uh, it was so disappointing and so... Uh, it was such a thrill to get there. But then again, you know, uh, you don't even compete in the finals. And uh, when I went to Denver, I knew that we weren't playing for the cup until you won three games. And after winning game six in uh, Jersey, I mean, it was all on now because uh, now we're playing for the cup. So, um, but, you know, those Islanders team and the uh, and Edmonton team and then what Detroit did, uh, but all those teams – you know, even our team in uh, Denver, uh, you know, we uh, we go to the uh, semifinals in 2000 when I'm traded there and we lose in game seven to Dallas. And then the next year, um, our plan is to be the best defensive team from day one in camp. We're talking about trying to win the Jennings and trying to be the lowest goals against. And, and then because without playing defense, regardless of how talented you are offensively, if you don't defend well and you don't know what you're doing, um, you can't win. And uh, you look at those teams that I'm talking about, the Islanders. Uh, Edmonton didn't win till they figured that out. Detroit didn't win till they figured that out. 
in Denver, we didn't win till we did that in 2001. So uh, it's a mix of, uh, you know, very good talent, but also a commitment to play both sides of the puck and you can't win without it. And a great goalie isn't hurt. <laughs> Ray, who would you say, if you look back, who is your favorite D partner of your whole career? Do you have one or two to kind of stand out above the rest? Well, in Boston, I had a very special uh, partnership with uh, Don Sweeney and uh, Gordy Kluzak, uh, you know, being a number one draft pick, um, you know, quite a few years before uh, we enjoyed playing together, uh, going through all those knee surgeries. And finally, the last year and a half uh, or two of his career, being able to play most games and pair up with him and play against the best offensive lines and uh, uh, on, on every night and doing an incredible job against those lines uh, was such a uh, big thrill for, for me to see Gordy have so much fun uh, towards the end of his career after having so many, uh, you know, frustrations with his knee surgeries and all the stuff that he had to go through. So to see a big smile and have him having fun, towards the end of his career um, and still to this day, a very special friend to me uh, was a lot of fun. Uh, Donnie, the little bulldog that uh, we, same thing, we're defending against the best lines every night uh, was uh, a lot of fun. I had a good run with Donnie and then bringing young guys in like uh, Kyle McLaren and Hal Gill and, uh, you know, getting them kind of in a comfortable situation were a lot of fun. And then going to Denver where, you know, I played with Adam Foote and then Rob Blake uh, doesn't get much better than that. So um, those are, you know, the guys that I really uh, enjoyed playing with, with many, 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 and many, and many other guys. And maybe this, this question might have a similar answer, but who would you consider to be maybe the most underrated teammate that you've had? Someone who'd never really got his due. Well, I think Adam Oates is in the Hall of Fame, but, um, you know, he was a guy that, uh, you know, looked at as a, you know, he played with Brett Hall in St. Louis, put up incredible numbers for a while and all that stuff. But what he was able to do defensively and in all areas of the ice, uh, for me, he was so underrated in all aspects of his game. Uh, such a subtle player in so many ways. Um you know, um, I really enjoyed playing with him and uh, really had a connection with him. Um, you know, I, I I mean, Rick Middleton is a guy that I think should be in the Hall of Fame that um, I think gotten some due, but not all of his due, because uh, I really think he uh, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. One more question uh, for me is, uh, obviously, you played against uh, Gretzky many times. For the younger audience, for people who never got to see him play live, can you just help maybe just explain how good he really was and how hard he was to defend against, especially, uh, you know, for so many games? Well, I'm asked, um, you know, always, uh, who's the best player you've played against? And um, I say that, uh, uh, you know, Mario, when his switch was on, was, uh, you know, probably the best player, but Mario was kind of off and on. Gretz, his switch was always on. This guy wanted to put numbers up every single night. Every time he's on the ice, he's making something happen. And it's not that he's going to beat you one-on-one, 
but he can. But the eyes that he has around his head, how he creates time and space for people to get in the holes and how he finds people. It's like we joke, you know, like we, uh, we work on a power play or the penalty kill in practice and somebody makes a stupid pass and, you know, the coach or somebody will say, hey, you're not Gretzky. You can't make that pass. Well, he did, and he made it work. And um, just the, uh, the passion, the intensity he played with, uh, and it wasn't, you know, uh, I mean, we're trying to defend him as best as we can, and, and we're trying to be physical with him. And he's just so hard to contain, so hard to hit. Uh, his antip- anticipation uh, for the game and um, just his vision was second to none. I mean, the best by far. Uh, and uh, it was really hard to, uh, I mean, just look at the numbers and look at uh, what he's accomplished in the game and, uh, you know, the best. Uh, I mean, the best that, uh, I mean, for me, um, I look at it a different way sometimes where I, I look at Bobby Orr in terms of changing the game from the backside because I'm a defenseman. But when you're looking at it the other way, I mean, Gretz, Gretz and Bobby Orr uh, are the two guys that uh, you look at that are on top of the list. Well, speaking of the best, arguably you were on one of the best teams ever, the 87 Canada Cup team. The infamous goal, you know, the Lemieux, the Gretzky, the did he mean to touch it, did he not mean to touch it? It, it was just an incredible thing. On a, on a lighter note, did you ever talk to Mario or Mario, I don't know how you say his first name, and say, hey, Thanks for burning me on your first NHL goal. I really appreciate that. He didn't burn me. He burned, Ray, he burned me on, on another goal. He burned me in the playoffs, okay? He didn't burn me on that goal. I'm trying to dump the puck in. <laughs> I assisted on his first goal. But I'm trying, I'm trying to I, – I got at the right point. I put it two feet off the ice and to go back into the corner. It goes off his shaft. Now it's six foot by me. He's got momentum. Now he's a breakaway, and I'm watching his first goal. But it's not like he burnt me. He didn't put a move on me. I hit his shaft. He knocked it out of the air and went. But, hey, he burnt me in the playoffs. When I'm looking left, right, left, right, I'm going forwards. I'm looking left, right, left, right. You might have wanted to look up that goal because that's where he burnt me, and I look so <laughs> I remember that goal. <laughs> I'm just busting your chops. Did you guys ever like bust each other's chops? Like, I, I always, you, you're on always. such another level when you're like, it's literally like Lemieux and Gretzky and Paul Coffey and Ray Bork and all these guys. Like, are you busting chops? Being like, oh, you suck, Gretzky. Like, nice pass. Like, is that a thing? Uh, not so much, but we laugh. Um, you know, in the warm up or in face offs or or something that happens during a game. You know, we might just bust each other. Something like that. Uh, it's fun. Mario, I mean, I know Mario pretty well. Got to know him. Uh, you know, the Canada Cups and, you know, both being from Montreal. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty special. All right. Last one and we'll let you go. So you've won cups. You're a first ballot Hall of Famer. Cup, you've been in cup, like, cup, not cups. Cup, you've won a okay, cup. Canada Cups. Yes. First ballot Hall of Fame. You've got a hundred All-Star selections. You retired your number with two teams. You played over two decades. You got the most points by D-Men all no, no, time. Get it right. More than two decades. Come on. Seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousand. I said more than two decades. Okay. Mike, the guy knows the stats. Tim, <laughs> um, most shots ever by an NHL player. Um, they're just countless things you have records for. 
all that junk aside, what's your best moment? Other than your accolades, other than your stuff, what's like the best moment for you? Um, well, it's probably bookends, right? It's uh, playing my first game in the NHL against the Winnipeg Jets, October 10th, 1979, and uh, winning the Cup June 9th, 2001. Uh, in between that, um, I mean, getting to the finals in uh, 88 and 90, finally, uh, being in Montreal for the first time, uh, winning the Canada Cup in uh, 84 and 87, and 87 being probably the best hockey that I ever played in. Um, and then uh, winning the uh, Sharon, well, you know how this feels, MVP at an all-star game, <laughs> winning the, scoring, scoring the winner uh, in, in Boston in 96. And, um, and you know what? And two, two, uh, two special nights that had nothing to do with a goal and assist or a win was uh, Norman Levier skating on the garden ice at the closing at the garden. Um, and 90, I think it was 95 or 96. Um, so many great, incredible alumni came back for that. And the last one introduced was Norman Levier that had a brain hemorrhage in Vancouver. And I think it was 1981 that never played again, that almost lost his life that night was just dreamt about skating one more tour, one more time in the garden ice putting his skates on and pulling him around with my stick uh, around the garden ice. Uh, I don't think there was a dry eye in the place. And then uh, 1987, December 3rd, I think it was, um, Phil Esposito uh, retirement night where he had no clue that I was going to give up number seven, handed it over to him. And uh, again, that thing was decided at one o'clock that afternoon exactly what we were going to do. Surprised everybody in the building. Nobody knew about it, even my teammates. Uh, the only people that knew was my wife, uh, the trainers, and uh, the coaching staff and management. And uh, it was an incredible night seeing Phil's face, the way uh, he reacted. And uh, it was such a the perfect thing to do because uh, God know he deserved it. And, I don't know why I was given that number when I came in, but uh, I wore number 29 in training camp, got to the first game, number seven was at my stall and had no clue why. And uh, Bobby Schmatz comes over to me, he says, if you hear any heckling, don't worry about it, just play your game. I'm like, awesome. And uh, never heard nothing about it other than people asking me every once in a while, should the number be retired? And it certainly should be, and it is. And uh that was a special night to give him back that number to Phil. Wow. That's unbelievable. Holy moly. You can, we can't end it on a higher note, Tim. What do you think? Oh, it's perfect. Well, listen, Ray, I, I really appreciate your time. You're a class act, you're a hall of famer. Any shout outs you want to give out anything you want to talk about before we cut loose here? Um, you know, uh, look us up where we have a work family foundation and we have three events a year. Every time, uh, you know, just go to workfamilyfoundation.org. Uh, we raise money for a lot of different causes in uh, New England. Uh, the whole family's involved, something that's very special to us. Uh, if you're ever in Boston, you're downtown, you want to go to North End, Little Italy, look up Tresca, my restaurant in the North End, nice Italian restaurant. Um, but um, just uh, good luck to you guys, and thanks for having me on. And 
Uh, I'm sure we're going to meet somewhere up the uh, up the road there, John. And uh, good luck. Keep trying. Keep trying. Keep trying for that yeah. boy. <laughs> <laughs> I will do my best. Trust me, I'll do yeah. my best. That's all I can say. But listen, anybody, everybody listening, I do all these alumni events. I do all this stuff with these uh, amazing guys who have played Hall of Famers. Ray's one of the nicest guys, if not the nicest guys I've ever met. I can attest to that. So he's the real deal. Ray Bork, everybody, thanks for uh, being on. I hope everybody enjoyed the show because I sure as heck did. And we'll talk to you guys, uh, I don't know when, another day. Cheers, everybody. All right, take care. See ya. All right, thank you very much. Hey, guys, thanks for listening. Make sure you're following the show on Twitter at Dropping Underscore Gloves for episode highlights, behind-the-scenes content, sneak peeks, and giveaways. Check out johnscottallstar.com slash shop for merchandise including t-shirts, hats, hoodies, and so much more. And please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's so important to helping us grow so we can keep delivering the hockey content and interviews with the players you love. Thanks, and see you next time.